Well, hey, this is Joey Furjanic, lead pastor of the Block Church. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to share this time together with you. We hope this message will touch, impact, and transform your life and help take us one step further on our journey to revive every block. Well, hello, the Black Church. Thank you so much, Pastor Joey. What an introduction. Love you, man. It's such an honor to be with you right here. And I want to take a moment. I want to greet all of our locations and then everybody joining us online. We love you guys. It's so good to be with you. Well, I believe I have a message from God today, and I want you to open your heart to receive it. Uh, while we get ready, I want to introduce my family. They're going to bring that up on the screen. You'll see my wife, Crystal, and I've got three kids, Naomi, Nicholas, and Natalie. We did the triple N just so that I can be confused when I get angry and I have, I don't know which child I'm yelling at, but one of them's going to get me and they're all going to know about it. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm a lead pastor at Two Rivers Church in Binghamton, New York. We planted Two Rivers 10 years ago with a desire to transform the world by leading people to Jesus. We were mobile in it. We started in a movie theater. I feel your pain, team, as you set up and tear down every week. For five years, we did that. But then, thank the Lord, God gave us a facility. We've planted about 10 times. We've led about 4,000 people to Jesus over the last 10 years. Come on, somebody. That's a big deal. And, and along the way, it has just been one miracle after another. And that's what I'm believing for the Black Church, that God's going to give you facilities. You're not going to have a facility. You're going to have facilities. Come on, somebody. That, that what God is doing here, it's, there's a campaign that it says here to stay. And that's what I believe needs to happen. That what God is doing here through the Black Church is such a miracle. I want to honor Pastor Joey and Lauren. You guys have one of the most amazing pastors, a dynamic leader, absolute ministry couple, and I get a chance to watch how they live and how they function. It's the real deal. They're living it out every day, day in and day out. And I've been around a lot of different pastors who sometimes the light bulb turns on when they're around people and then what they're doing behind the scenes turns off. And it just, it makes me feel disgusted to be around that. To be honest, I, if you're with me on that, I, I just can't stand when I see somebody who wants to say, hey, I'm a Jesus follower, but doesn't live it out. And you have a pastor who lives it out day in and day out. So could we just one more time honor Pastor Joey and Lauren in that? And then I want to take a second to say thank you to all the teams serving at every location. You guys are making a difference here in Philadelphia. Thank you so much for the way that you serve. We came in today. We felt honored and loved. And my kids are in the back right now, and they're going to be taught about the Holy Spirit. I heard some children's worker talking about you. There's toys and there's games and activities and, and we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit today. It's not child care. It's discipleship that's taking place in our children's environments. And here we are on Father's Day. And we're talking about this idea of here to stay. And one of the best things that you can do is leverage your giving. This church needs to have permanent facilities. 
We don't need to be setting up and tearing down every week. What we need to be able to do is plug ourselves in. If you're not already serving on a team, get on a team. If you're sort of irregular in your attendance, get in the room. If you're not giving, give, and then give above and beyond. We need to see a miracle take place. We need to move the ball here. There's God, God has to break something open. And could we just do this at every location? Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. I wanna pray over facilities. This church needs to be rooted and established. So Jesus, we pray it right now. I pray that you would open the doors. The enemy wants this church to be stopped. The enemy wants nothing more than people to be discouraged, to people to be caught up in depression, anxiety, to be caught up in selfishness. But even now, Jesus, you are opening the right doors. I declare that you love Philadelphia, that you are raising up the black church to reach this city. We're gonna take this city one block at a time. And it's gonna be done through not one facility, but multiple facilities. That there's increase and overflow coming to this church, to every person who gives. There's a sacrificial anointing that's gonna begin to break something open in this city. And we're gonna see a harvest like never before. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody together said, amen, amen. Well, turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter three, verse 17. I was gonna start with this prayer. Uh, while you're turning in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter three, uh, I, wanna, I wanna start Father's Day with a couple of dad jokes. Everybody okay with that? So where do you learn to make a banana split? Come on, somebody, Sunday school. You know, that's how it is. You, let's, you, you're tracking me now. I heard the groans. That makes a dad really happy. Why, why did the golfer bring two pairs of socks? This is for you, Pastor Joey. In case he got a hole in one. And, and then last one. I love you guys. This is so good. <laughs> why did Snoop Dogg bring an umbrella? For drizzle. For drizzle. All right, Ephesians chapter three, verse 17. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, this guy is so good. This guy is so good. Oh man, I'm done. We're, we're ready to go home. <laughs> Ephesians chapter three, verse 17 says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I want you to know in your head the love of God, but then also to know it in your heart, the love of God. This is what Paul prayed. So today I wanna to talk to you about the love of the Father. If you have your notes, take them out. You can write that down, the love of the Father. There are many different ways that we can know God. We can know him as an all-powerful creator. He made the universe. He sits on a throne and he's surrounded by angels. We can know him as an omnipotent being who parts the seas and brings the dead to life. 
We can know him as a man with a big white beard that sits on a cloud and sounds like Morgan Freeman. <laughs> different people have different ideas of who God is. And some people see him as a distant cosmic being that couldn't possibly be concerned with our lives. Some people see him as unapproachable. He's a figure to be feared and to be reverenced. Others think he's just waiting for him to screw up. They know God as someone who has a long list of everything that they've ever done wrong. But when Jesus came, Jesus introduced the world to a new way to know God. Through Jesus, we weren't just given a savior, we were given a father. So when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, the first words that Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, nine were our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Of all the ways he could have told us to relate to God, Jesus said, he's our father first. One of the best understandings that we can have of God is as a loving father, one that's proud of us, a father that cares, he's cheering for us and lifts us when we fall. When we know God this way, we realize that God is not distant. He's not vengeful toward us. He's not unapproachable. Jesus, the son of God, could have referred to God only as his father. But when he spoke to people, he said, your father. I've heard it often in my life that I need to fear God more. Growing up in the church, I would run around in church and people were afraid that I was a little bit too disrespectful in the house of the Lord. I might drink the communion cups at the end of the experience. And they wanted me to come to God with reverence and awe. And while I appreciate what they mean, that there is a God who is beyond our fathoming, that is the creator of the universe, that is holy, it is good to view God in that way. Yet Jesus taught us to come to God as a child would come to a good father. Romans chapter eight, verse 15, Paul, who was a murderer, who persecuted Christians, and he should have been the recipient of a vengeful God. He had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life, and he talks about that experience with the love of the Father in Romans chapter eight, verse 15. It says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, there's over 900 names for God and titles for God in the Bible. In, there's only one new name given for God in the New Testament, and we just read it, Abba, Daddy, what happens is that when we come to God through Jesus, that we are adopted, we become part of the family of God. We're not outsiders anymore. We have an inheritance. We have, we've been accepted and we've been brought into a new way of living. And the Holy Spirit in us doesn't say come to God with, raw, with awe, with reverence, with fear. While we appreciate those things, what the Spirit of God is producing in us is this 
cry that we say, Daddy. I come to God because he is my loving father. So Paul didn't earn that love. While he was an enemy of God, the father sent Jesus. And now Paul was personally adopted and connected to his daddy. I grew up in church. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I don't remember when. I can't remember a time that I was apart from God. I don't remember coming to Jesus. All I know is that I've been with Jesus. I probably prayed the salvation prayer 3,000 times as a kid. This is why it's so important to every week have our children in children's church. Every week be investing in them. I don't know a time without a relationship with the Father. But as I got into my 20s, I, I ran from God. I began to have a distorted thinking about who our father is. I began to have distorted thinking, even though I, had, I was raised in church and in children's church, we would sing songs, Jesus loves the little children. But I, ha- I began to believe that my father in heaven wanted to keep me from fun, wanted to keep me from the good things, that maybe the Father in heaven didn't have the best way. So I began to live a wild lifestyle. I ran from my relationship with God, and I began to try to fill my life with things that I thought might satisfy. And what I discovered was that I was lonely. I had, I had everything I ever desired, all of the things that I thought would fulfill me, And at the end of the day, I was dissatisfied. I lost my peace. I lost my contentment. I lost what I had when I had the love of the Father. And what happened was, I looked back, I came to my senses, and I realized there was a place where I had peace. There was a place where I had contentment. There was a place where I had the joy of the Lord in my life. In all of my running, In all of my sin, in all of my failure, I still was able to look up and know that I can come home to God because I understood that there's a loving father that would welcome me home. And one day, I got on my hands and knees and I repented. And I said, God, as hard as I ran from you, I'm gonna run toward you. I knew that God would accept me home. I knew that God would take me back in. And if you're like me, you're searching for peace and love and contentment. But like me, our view of God can be distorted. That we begin to search to other places because we don't understand the love of the Father. The scriptures describe the love of the Father for the wayward children in Luke chapter 15. There's a story called the prodigal son. Really, the story should be called the love of the father. The son, in the beginning of the story, asks for his inheritance. He says, Dad, I I know you're not dead yet, but I want what you have. You might as well be dead. Give me my inheritance now. I'm going to go do whatever I want to do. So he takes his inheritance. He goes off and he lives wild living. He's doing whatever he wants to do. After a little while, 
the money runs out, the friends run out. He found himself the way I found myself, without peace, without contentment. And actually the Bible describes him as, a, as someone who was feeding pigs and he longed to eat what the pigs were eating. And in that moment, he began to think about what it was like back in his father's house. And he realized that things were better for him in his father's house. Even the servants ate better than what he was eating. And this is the nature of what sin is in our life. That when we are sinning, we believe it's gonna bring us to contentment. We believe it's gonna bring us to peace. We believe it's gonna bring us some level of satisfaction. But at the end of the day, we're left longing for even what the pigs would have. Something's gotta be better than this. And if you've been at that moment in your life, you know that there's got to be more. And in that moment for the prodigal son, we pick up in Luke chapter 15, verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The father sees his son coming home and he girds up. You know what happens when you gird up? These guys, they would wear these robes. They would reach down, they would grab the bottom of their robe and pull it up through. So now, now it's kind of like shorts. Their, their, their legs would be exposed and now they would run. Church, there's times you gotta gird up. It's time, sometimes it's time to run. Sometimes it's time to get after it. And the, the team this morning, when you set everything up, you gird it up. You had to do your business so that the lost could come home. And this is what the heart of the father is. In fact, at that time, it would have been embarrassing for a man of stature to gird up. That the father saw the son and was willing to move past social norms. He was willing to break the social establishment in order to get to his son. This is the only time that we see God run. The love of the father being expressed when his lost children want to come home. And what we see here is not a vindictive God. We don't see a distant God. We don't see an uncaring God. But a father who is so great that sees past the failure, past the relational offense of his son. So the son gets to him in verse 21. He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The son had this speech prepared, I'm not worthy. How many times in my life have I come to God and said, I'm not worthy? God, I don't know how you could forgive me. God, I can't believe I did that again. God, I can't believe I've, I've, I've screwed up so bad. There's no way you could look at me with any kind of love because when you see yourself, you see shame and you see brokenness and you see mess. But the father doesn't respond. Yeah, you are a mess. You're so messed up. I can't believe you. I told you so. I knew, I knew you'd be back as a failure. This is what the father says in Luke 15, 22. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast 
and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. In this passage, we learn about the love of the father. The father that's not vindictive. There's nothing to hide from him. There's nothing to fear from him. There's nothing to prove to him. The son was already loved. Our father is a constant source of encouragement and protection. He's there to lift us up when we feel like giving up. If he cares for the birds of the air, how much more must he care for you? Maybe you grew up without a father. Maybe he was absent. Maybe he was harsh in dealing with you. You might've gotten used to not measuring up. You might've gotten used to being disappointed watching your father dealing with his own struggles. But we can't let our earthly father, who he wasn't, distort the truth of who our heavenly father is. Your father might've been difficult to please, but please know that your heavenly father has always been pleased with you. He might've been quick to find fault, but know that God is filled with mercy. He might've been absent, but remember that God has promised to be with you always. So how can we experience this love of God? Jesus gives us access to the Father. You can write that down. We get to God through Jesus. Jesus gave his life on Calvary's tree so that we could be forgiven of our sin. He is the firstborn son. He's our brother. He is our way to the Father. Through Jesus, we're adopted. It says in John chapter one, yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The human condition is that we all rebelled like the prodigal. Ephesians chapter two says it like this in verse three, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. This is where so many of us get to. Some people, when they hear about a holy God, they get angry with God. God, how could you tell me? You created me. You made me this way. And now you wanna tell me that I can't live any way that I want to. How can you be a good God? How can you be a God that's loving if when you created me, I had the potential for sin? We struggle with the concept of a loving father. We look at our failings and we misplace them somewhere else. We were all in this condition. But verse four, but because of his great love for us, someone say great love. Every location, say great love. love. That's sort of like weak love. Give me a great love. love. That's a lot better. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace 
you have been saved. Grace is God's expression of generosity. You can call on Jesus and discover forgiveness, love, peace, and contentment. Just think about your life in relationship to God. Are you in right relationship with him through Jesus? Like the prodigal, every one of us went away from God. Every one of us did our own thing. But it is through Jesus that we are brought back into relationship with the Father. And like me, like the prodigal son, have you had a moment to consider that your life might be better when you come home into the Father's love? So many people see God as distant. They see him as harsh or uncaring, and it keeps them from God. I want to close with this. Jesus is proof of God's love. On February 27th, 2009, I became a father. It was the most amazing day. My wife gave birth to my son. It was also a bittersweet day. Because on that day, my son was born premature in NICU. And my son, we discovered, had a rare condition called lysencephaly. His brain wasn't connected to the rest of his body appropriately. And so I would go in this hospital and I would lay on the floor in the chapel and I would cry out and I would say, God, would you heal my son? Just a little one pound baby, never done anything wrong born with defects. And I would just weep. God, heal my son. Greatest ambition of my life. I traveled the world, done so many things. I told my wife when I turn 30, I want to have a I want to have a child. I want to be a father. I I've lived a wonderful life. I want now to see my children live a wonderful life. And now I've got this prayer answered and what I thought was gonna be the greatest moment of my life became the greatest moment of disappointment. So 13 days later, the doctors came to me and they said, Will, you have to make a decision. We've given Nathaniel all the medication that we can give him. He's having seizures. He's in tremendous pain. And we can't do anything more to take care of his pain. You have to make a decision. Every breath that he takes is torture. But if we remove life support, it's a certain death sentence. As a father, I just couldn't believe that I had to make this decision for my child. So I said, God, if you're gonna heal my son, you've got like a couple of hours. We had to make the decision to remove life support. I'm holding my son in my arms when they took the tubes out and his breath passed away. He died in my arms. I walked away from that moment broken. Here I was, I was thinking, God, did you do this? Because... I ran from you? 
Is this my punishment? Is this what happens because I've sinned so much and I've done so much wrong? Is this, why would my son be born this way? God, how, how can you be good? How can you be good? I was so angry, I was so broken. We went away, went to the beach, and just sat. Trying to grapple with God, this God that I've served my whole life. And I got to this verse, John 3.16. And it had been sort of trite to me my whole life. It's what they put in the end zone. Sort of like the first verse you'll ever memorize. So I could quote it, learn it. I don't, I probably one of the first verses I ever learned. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And I'm experiencing all of this pain from losing my son. And my anger toward God was this anger that was rooted in the depth of my loss. And I, it occurred to me that there's not a person on the planet that I would have given my son Nathaniel for them. There's no one. I love my son more I would have traded my life for my son, but I wouldn't trade his life for anyone. And I, and I was confronted with this idea that between God, either God is hateful, he's distant, he's vengeful, or he's a loving God. Because I realized the amount of hurt and the amount of pain that I was experiencing was due to how much I loved my own son. And yet here's a God who loved so much that he was willing to give his own son so that my son could be with him in heaven. So that someday when I die, I will be joined together with Nathaniel in the air that this blessed hope is such that I don't grieve as those who are without hope while I miss my son, there is a loving father who is willing to give his own son so that I could be in relationship with God. And no matter what my anger was doing, no matter what my disappointment was doing, I got stuck on the cross. That the cross has to be proof of the love of God. It has to be proof that God is a loving father that's willing to go the distance for you and for me. And so if you're here today and you're, you're trying to sort out, is God loving? Does God care? Is, is, does he see me? Is he distant? Is he far? If you're trying to sort out in your life, I, I have all of these father issues and I don't know how to relate to a God that's supposed to be loving. I would suggest to you that the cross is the place to begin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. 
Thanks so much for joining us today. I especially want to thank those of you who give generously to help us revive every block. If you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, screenshot it, and post your social stories and tag us at The Block Church. We'd love to hear from you and how you found this encouraging and inspiring. Thanks again, and God bless you.